On this episode of The Trillist, we have... We started this club called Disability Advocacy at Penn, where we're able to have all these students with disabilities come and just have a forum to talk about what they want to talk about, about their disability. When I entered Penn, there was no really formal program to introduce disabled students to the services that's offered by the university, or there was really no disability community at all. Like at Penn, which is understandable because I know there's a huge stigma around disability back then, and there is still to this day, but I think it is getting a little bit better compared to before. Something like ADHD is almost like an excuse to professors, and then professors can get really in your face about, you know, thinking that you forgetting to do an assignment is personal. Just because I'm doing something differently than you doesn't mean that I'm doing it worse than you, doesn't mean that I'm helpless. I am very much capable of doing what I want to be doing with my disability, not in spite of it. For more chill content, follow the Trillis Instagram at T H E T R I L L E S T underscore podcast. And check out Sia's Insta at L I N D A L E B B I E. And if you like this video, and I know you do, just admit it, please rate our podcast it will help us with reaching more people and also share it with your friends your family your loved ones just share it hello everyone welcome to this episode of the trillist on today's episode i have four lovely guest individuals who are here to speak on being students with disabilities so before we get into this episode, I would like to introduce Leah. Hello. Blue. Hi. Emma. Hi. And Elizabeth. Hi, everyone. Thank you each for coming on today to speak about your experiences. I'm so happy to have you. Uh, this episode was inspired by Leah and Elizabeth, but we'll get more into that later on. But to begin, could each of you briefly share what your North Star is? I'm super passionate about accessibility and making the world more inclusive for everyone, regardless of physical ability. And I really hope to do that through marketing and through working in like the technology industry. Um, and just in general, I want to make the world um, better for people with disabilities. I'm interested in disability law and disability economics and how people with disabilities can utilize the economic power that they have to really make a difference in terms of advocating for themselves and having a platform. For me, I'm still figuring out my career path, but I know that I'm really passionate about disability and the deaf community advocacy, but 
I think that long term, I do want to do something more creative wise. I am interested in community arts and uh, the intersection of arts and movement building. Um, and so, of course, one intersection um, has to do with um, disability and well-being. But I'm interested in uh, reimagining the role of arts in everyday life. Amazing. So all of you are definitely going to achieve wonderful things for humanity in the future. And I cannot wait to see that happen. I brought up this to ask whether you all believe that to achieve your goals, you have to be up to date on the news and what is going on today. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, that's a necessity. For sure. Yeah, I definitely agree too. Well, lucky for all of you and our lovely, amazing, special, awesome listeners, the Trillist is sponsored by The Economist, and we have a special link in our description. Make sure you check it out, where you can get a discounted digital subscription for 12 weeks for just $19. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a wonderful news organization that allows people to understand what is happening in Tanzania and Myanmar down to the United States and back to the EU and the UK. So make sure you check it out. There's coverage on arts and the creative field and technology and business and it's all there. So make sure you check it out. Again, the special link to get your discounted subscription is in our description box. Awesome, let's get into this episode. So to begin, could each of you please share the disability or condition that you live with? I'm personally legally blind and low vision. I have something called ocular albinism, um, which means that I don't have the pigment in my retinas that does something to make me able to see, not quite sure um, all of the actual like science behind it, um, but it means that I use mostly audiobooks, I use a screen reader, um, I can't drive. Um, I think a good way to put it is like if I was stopped behind a car, like if we were at a stoplight and there was a car in front of me, I can see that there is a license plate on it, but I can't tell you what those numbers say. Um, that's a pretty good description of my um, eyesight. And then I also get ocular migraines pretty much every day, which causes me to lose vision um, in my left eye, which is unfortunately my stronger eye. Um, so that's not super great, but yeah. I guess in general, I am part of the low vision community. I have ADHD, um, which you know severely impacts my short term memory and processing stuff in the classroom, and you know makes executive functioning and planning in school sometimes a bit more difficult. So I have something called central auditory processing disorder, um, which affects the neural pathways of my auditory processing center of my brain, which means that. I tend to not be able to process sound properly. I don't oftentimes, sometimes I don't um, process spoken word correctly. And um, it's linked to sensory processing disorder. So that's having sensitivity to sound and touch. Um, So I actually wear hearing aids for that and use an FM system in the classroom. I was born deaf, so in both ears. And I got surgery to get cochlear implants. So my left, I got my first one when I was 13 months on my right ear, and then my second one when I was about 10 years old. And then throughout my life, I've been just raised in a lot of hearing institutions. So I've been raised speaking English, 
going to a lot of speech therapy, um, growing up mainly the hearing community and not with deaf culture. Thank you each for sharing. A few of you spoke about how you use technology to live your daily life and make sure things are as normal as possible for you. So could you each speak to how at university, because all of you are college students, how your academic accommodations have been processed by your university? And if you feel that you've been adequately supported by administration and your professors? I think in terms of professors, it's kind of hit or miss, but I would say most of the time at my university, I've been very supported by my professors. Um, They're always pretty flexible about like, you know, enlarging their PowerPoints or sending me PowerPoints ahead of time. Um, I will say that my university does specifically have a disability resources office that I personally think is useless and does not do their job. Um, I don't really ever feel supported there. I would probably say that the most ableism I've ever encountered at my university is through this office, which is, you know, kind of counterproductive to what it's there for. Um, And I found that a lot of it has come down to me having to learn how to accommodate myself, which can be very frustrating um, when I'm just trying to be a student like everybody else. And I don't really want to have to like juggle things that I would have liked to have administrative support for. Um, And I have found the same thing when it comes to like deans and administration that, you know, a lot of times there's not a good education around what it means to be a student with a disability. And so, um, you know, the administration can't always be super supportive or they end up being ableist just because they don't understand um, all the intricacies that come with being a student with a disability. I was diagnosed at the end of high school. um, And uh, so when I came into Penn, I sort of knew how to advocate for myself. So I like immediately got my accommodation listed. Um, But like uh, one thing that's just like a big pain in my university is that they make you, um, they make you re-register your like disability every um, semester. And then for each individual assignment, you have to, um, for each individual test that you're requesting an accommodation for. So in my case, it's one and a half times, they make you register that specific assignment So, of course, for someone who's trouble, like, if your disability means that it's, like, harder to keep track of, like, you know, little things that sort of add up, um, you know, significantly because of memory and processing, um, it was just, like, a nightmare to, to, like, remember to even request my accommodations. So, I I don't know why my university does it that way, um, but it it poses, like, a genuinely huge um, obstacle. But uh, I personally have gotten through because... Um, I didn't feel ashamed talking to my professors directly, and I got lucky um, in that I was super open um, with my professors in the classes that I was struggling with, um, and they personally, uh, to varying degrees, were able to help me. But it's just an uncomfortable position because it relies totally on the professor. So like my writing seminar professor might have been willing to, um, to allow me to submit you know, pretty much all my work for the entire class in the last two weeks and give me an A, but my Spanish teacher wrote me, you know, like nasty emails about having attitude problems when I forgot to turn stuff in. So it, uh, it, it becomes much more dependent on the professor in a way that puts people really uncomfortable and the university could do a lot more uh, to uh, make the process simpler. Yeah, so I actually have been very fortunate in my life that 
I got diagnosed very pretty early on when I was a child and my mom was on top of it. She made sure that I figured out what accommodations I, I really needed early on. I've had these noise canceling headphones that are actually made for construction work. Um, ever since I was in third grade, um, she taught me how to advocate for myself, how to stand up for myself and to not kind of hide, um, my disability away. Um, and I also had a medical record of all of these things that I needed accommodation for. So I got into speech therapy when I was in middle school and I got into getting hearing aids, um, when I was a child. So when I came to Penn, I already had this long record of accommodation and that proved to be pretty critical to how the ease of getting an accommodation, because if it's already documented, they're like, Oh, well, she's had this accommodation before she has medically like proven quote unquote that she has had, she has had this disability for a long time. So it wasn't that hard for me to figure out what accommodations I needed and to adjust to college. But I have, I do know a lot of friends who come to our university and just didn't realize that they had a disability until they set foot on campus and thought, oh my gosh, what's going on with me? And then they found out that they had a disability. And I've heard that um, accommodations in that regard is 10 times harder because you don't have that history of accommodations. You don't have that history, medical history, and you have a disability just as much as anyone else in our student disability services center. But just because you didn't have that support system or those resources before you're kind of stuck and it's much harder process to get those accommodations. Um, with professors, just like how um, everyone else has said, it is a hit or miss. I have had professors who were wonderful. I have an FM system, which looks kind of like a little pen, but it's actually a microphone that hooks up to a professor. And then it attaches to my hearing aids or uh, goes to my hearing aids via Bluetooth, actually. And so sometimes I would be nervous, like going up and asking them to wear this weird pen, but they were always really chill about um, that accommodation. But then on other instances I've had professors who I remember once I asked to wear my noise canceling headphones during a timed assignment in class and I was argued with because my accommodation said I needed noise canceling headphones on quizzes and this isn't a quiz this is a timed in-class assignment so surely you don't need noise canceling headphones for that so I think that there is this discrepancy in understanding exactly what disability means and that it isn't just turned on and off for different scenarios. There's this discrepancy between like professors who might not have the training in that and student disability services who should have that training. I think my experience personally is a little bit different in general because since, I don't know, like for me growing up, I think that I think growing up also in an Asian household, just to give some context, I am Asian American. Um, I think like there's a bigger stigma in the Asian community to like hide your disability or that it's considered unacceptable or unwelcome. So I feel like I was really ingrained that kind of mindset. And it wasn't until college that I really had to like going to a larger university, going, being on my own, being independent. I had to really learn how to deal with accommodations and advocating for myself. So actually in the beginning, I would say maybe the first two years of college, I was so stubborn about not going to about not using accommodations, um, just doing everything on my own. And obviously that took a huge toll on me, like in my, mentally, physically, emotionally, and just went down a spiral. 
And I feel like it wasn't until I met a disability community outside of Penn, actually called Lion Connect that Leah and MI are part of, um, that I really felt much more comfortable in my disability identity and I began to advocate for myself. And I've also been really fortunate in that I work closely with the head director there. Her name is Pam. At, she's the director of SDS at Penn, I think. Um, and she was really open for me. She really communicated how as she would really help me out. She would be really responsive to my emails and really be on top of everything for me. And it was actually during this pandemic when everything went online. Uh, it was really hard to hear on the videos because it's just a lot of, I feel like when you're on video all day, it takes a toll on you because you're listening so much. And then there's like a lot of complications and nuances added to just learn, learning classes online. But I felt like when I reached out to my professors, during COVID um, online, they seemed a lot more receptive to my help. And I wonder if it's just because the nature of COVID made everyone more compassionate towards each other. So I wonder if that's an element, but I think I was also just pleasantly surprised by how receptive they were, but I didn't notice that Zoom did not have closed captions available from the get-go. And it wasn't until I think like mid-February that we got everything set up um, and people were aware of what I needed. but yeah, I think it was a little bit different in that respect. I didn't come out the gate like super confident in my own identity. Wow. Thank you each for sharing while you were speaking. I was nodding and just blown away. And a lot of what you each spoke about in different manners, but it all related to, reminded me of, so there's a post that went viral on February 20 it was posted on february 24th but i just heard about it this past week it's a student an incoming student student at stanford called antonio milan his instagram name for all of the listeners to go check it out is a n t o n i o underscore m i l a n e and he states i'm going to read his caption he posted a picture of an email he received from Stanford's Disability Services, and he captioned it, I could really use your help right now. For those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Antonio Milan, and I have a disability called cerebral palsy. It is a neurological disability that affects my muscles throughout my body. I cannot use my hands properly and require a scribe to complete my schoolwork. At the moment, Stanford is not willing to provide me a scribe for my schoolwork as they believe it is a, quote, personal service, end quote, instead of a necessity. They are only willing to accommodate a scribe where there is limited use of the accommodation such as tests and labs. This does not include homework and classwork where a scribe would actually be needed. I will not be able to attend Stanford if I do not get the scribe, if you could please share this post, it would mean a great deal. The email up above is from the Director of Accessible Education. And then he captions it, hashtag Stanford and hashtag Stanford 2025. And for those of you in his bio, there's a link to change.org petition. Please sign it. It has thousands of signatures currently. But everything you mentioned about how at Leah's school, the disability, the student disability services is not great, right? Right. Even with what Emma spoke about, you're taking a test, a timed assignment, and he doesn't want to give you what you need. And leading into my next question, 
I wonder if you all feel that amongst your greater university community, I know that Elizabeth spoke about feeling a greater sense of community when you joined the organization that both you, Leah, and Emma belong to, but do you feel that you're ostracized from your greater university, and do you feel quote-unquote invisible? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think there's a lot of different layers to it because, right, there's obviously the academic side of university and there's the social side. Um, I would say socially, I do not have a lot of friends at this university that have disabilities. Um, I'm also on the varsity track team at my university, so pretty much my world very much is surrounded by people that are typically able-bodied. And that can get kind of lonely sometimes. I think there's a lot of things that, like, I have really wonderful friends, but they just will never understand because they'll never know what it's like to have low vision. And I think there is something very special about like Lime Connect that Emma, Elizabeth and I are a part of because you are surrounded by these people that, you know, they understand, like they, they get it and you don't need to explain it. And that's really wonderful. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that I would feel ostracized socially, but I do think that, you know, it would be nice to have a greater students with disabilities representation on my campus. Um, and also I think like, especially with the pandemic, I found that to be a little bit harder because a lot of people were like, oh, like we can do things. We'll just be like six feet apart the whole time, which first of all, you should absolutely do. I'm not saying you should do that. Social distance is super duper important, but I think a lot of people forget that like, I can't do things that are six feet apart. I can hardly see like three feet in front of me at any given time. So that can be really challenging. And you know, this happened to me sophomore year, I'm a senior now, that I really wanted to go, um, the Jonas Brothers were coming, and I wanted to go see them in concert, and um, the friend group I was going with, they didn't have the, like, they didn't want to spend a whole ton of money, and I didn't want to ask them to, to be able to sit in the front row, to be able to see seats, because, you know, front row concert tickets are expensive, and, you know, that would be the price I would have to pay to be able to have the same visual experiences they would have from kind of like standard seats. And that's kind of hard socially there as well. And then, you know, you're in college and things happen at night and, you know, you want to go out and you want to have a good time, but I lose my vision throughout the day. So that can be really tricky. So sometimes I can't go to things because I just won't be able to see what's happening. Um, And also I can't drive. So I always have to coordinate with my friends to drive me places Um, which can be hard at some points. Um, But I, like I said, I have wonderful friends that have always been willing to pick me up, to take me grocery shopping, to, you know, go out of their way to include me. So again, I wouldn't feel ostracized. I do think though that I do do things a little bit differently. Um, Academically, I would say, again, I wouldn't know if ostracized is the right word, but I feel like a lot of it is an uphill battle. Um, As, you know, everyone sounds like they shared before, just School administration is not good at all when it comes to handling students with disabilities. There was a time last year that I was required to take a coding class. And for me, computer science is really hard because like, I can't tell a difference between like, it's very hard for me to tell a difference between a colon and a semicolon. And I was like, I'm going into marketing. I don't really need to know how to do comp sci. Is there any way I can take another class to like substitute this graduation requirement? Um, And my university pretty much was like, no, you have to be in this class. There's no exception to that rule. And it was really, really tricky. And it was really hard. And in that way, my university definitely did make me feel like I was, and it took a lot on me mentally and emotionally that, 
you know, my university pretty much made me feel like I was um, a burden to them to be accommodated. And the way they were treating me, they made me feel like having a disability is a bad thing, which it absolutely is not. So I did not appreciate that attitude. Um, And it would be very hard for me to walk into this class every day where I couldn't really see what was going on. And, you know, how do, how do you handle that? Right. Where pretty much I was spending eight hours a week in an environment that I just felt completely lost in because of my disability, because I couldn't really get my, my university pretty much was not willing to provide me those accommodations. And, you know, you talk about that Antonio story and it's just so heartbreaking because I know that's not an individual experience. Like so many people deal with that. And for Antonio, who I think he is like coming into Stanford, like he's not even there yet. Like, I cannot imagine what it is like to show, like I was showed up to my university thinking I was going to be accommodated. I cannot imagine what it's like to get into like your dream school. You've worked so hard to get into a school like Stanford only to have it throw, like have them throw ableism in your face before you even get to campus. Like that must be so hard. I hope you can get accommodations. I'm pretty sure it's illegal for Stanford to do that. So I hope if he feels empowered to and has the resources to, he does do something legally if that's what he wants. But yeah, I, again, wouldn't know if ostracized is the right word for really anything on college campuses, but it is definitely a time, I think everyone, when they come to terms with your identity and you really kind of take stock of like who you are and where your place is academically and socially. I mean, something like ADHD is like definitely um, an invisible disability and you don't know that you have it. And the other complicated part about especially stuff like ADHD and executive functioning um, disabilities like uh, autism is that often you have these kids that in the, um, I just read a great piece um, for uh, about writing pedagogy that are called twice exceptional, where there's like an unevenness between like super good in one, one type of subjective processing and like really struggle in another type. And so I think one kind of <laughs> situation this creates is that you sort of want to stay invisible about any deficits Um, just because uh, you have these other strengths that you're trying to like highlight. And so it creates a situation where you're like, where I'm like thinking like, uh, you know, Penn has a lot of competitive programs. I'm going to apply for a bunch of them. Um, I might want to be nominated for fellowships. I might want to be nominated for graduate school. And I sort of feel uncomfortable um, about, am I going to be viewed um, from the, point of my deficits if I'm like if I'm like talking vocally about you know having a horrible short-term memory um, and ADHD um, and on the other hand uh, if you don't really highlight uh, you, well okay you shouldn't need to highlight like the reason that you're struggling to get help but if you don't give give something like ADHD is almost like an excuse to professors then professors can get really in your face about um you know, thinking that you forgetting to do an assignment is personal. So yeah, I, I do feel invisible and a bit ostracized depending um, on the context. Uh, yeah, and depending, and it, it just puts students in a weird position where they're not sure uh, how open they're supposed to be. And I mean, that's why, I mean, I'm anonymous on this podcast because um, if I apply for a, a job or a fellowship, I don't want someone to Google my name and uh, see that I have ADHD. Um, and that sucks um, because I don't consider it like a shameful 
or even that limiting part of my identity. Yeah, going off of that, I feel like the only times I've ever felt not shame, but anything close to that is because someone else decided to not take the time to understand what my disability is and what that meant to me. Um, and so similarly, I wouldn't say my feelings on campus are ostracism, but I do feel misunderstood oftentimes. Um, and it's hard because on one hand, you want to be really proud of this part of your identity because it's you. You wouldn't have become who you are if you weren't some a person with disabilities. Um, my mom used to call it my superpower. And I always felt that that was a great way to, you know, motivate me to be like, yeah, you know what? I feel a little different from everyone else. And that could be a beautiful thing. Um, but at the same time, because of some reactions I've had of people where I'm wearing my noise canceling headphones and they're bulky and people are like, what the heck is this girl wearing? She's kind of weird. Or times where even friends, well now ex-friends have spoke like, for example, here's a good example. I've had friends in college where I felt comfortable enough to, to disclose I had a disability that I wear hearing aids, uh, things like that. And they thought it was so crazy that I was able to lip read so well. And can I see their, them lip read if they do this? And what if they do that? And what if they, one person even covered up their mouth in, in mouthed words, which I don't even understand how anyone could read lips if you can't see the lips. But it's just a good point to show that there are people out there who, don't take the time to really understand. No, lip reading isn't just some pet trick I do at parties. It's something I do every day to process and understand what you're saying. And so then that makes me feel a bit misunderstood on campus because it's like, do you actually know who I am? And should I even tell you this part of my identity if you're going to treat it that way? Because it's a precious part of me. So if you're just going to soil it like that, well, then maybe I won't show it off. Um, actually, Elizabeth and I and uh, two other students, we started this club called Disability Advocacy at Penn, where we're able to have all these students with disabilities come and just have a forum to talk about what they want to talk about, about their disability. And so many of them have said that it's one of the first times that they ever publicly talked about their disability to anybody. I find that remarkable. But it's not shocking because of the way that society and some people on campus has decided to take on and look at disability. They look at it like certain boxes that you fill. I have auditory processing disorder. Oh, that's deafness. So I should speak loudly to her, even though that's not that's not my disability. It's processing words. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it, it is much more of a feeling of being misunderstood than feeling ostracized. I just want to echo all these sentiments said by everyone because I can relate to every single one, but to some degree or some shape or form. I do feel like that also going off what Emma said, it has made me feel very misunderstood, but also just left out in general because when people first meet me, they don't know that I was born deaf or that I wear cochlear implants. Um, they assume I'm a hearing person like everyone else. And in that scenario, it's kind of hard for me to decide, oh, like, especially when to disclose, because I have had experiences like Emma where I've had friends slash ex-friends who 
they didn't really want to take the time to understand my disability or my deafness or what I needed, or if I opened up to them about something that was I mean, like I was struggling with with my disability, um, they would respond with not condescension, but like they would dismiss it or they would not really take the time to ask questions and listen and try to see my point of view. So I feel like that is one tricky thing that, yeah, I do feel like misunderstood of situations, but I also think that college, I feel like when I entered Penn, there was no really formal program to introduce disabled students to the services that's offered by the university, or there was really no disability community at all, like at Penn, which is understandable because I know that there's a huge stigma around disability back then. And there is still to this day, but I think it is getting a little bit better compared to before. And I think like it just made me really feel really alone in that sense, because here I am trying to work out my own identity, but I also feel like I have to figure everything out for myself because I don't know like who to reach out to. I don't know what kind of services to have. And I feel like the university was not really supportive in the end because yes, they might have the necessary academic structures like SDS to support the student, but there's not enough of a change in culture and enough of a support of a community in order to help the person. Thank you all for speaking on your experience. I am so sorry you had to go through that very problematic and unfortunate situation with people that you thought were your friends, Emma, or even Leah. Did you did you end up going to the concert or did you forego because you didn't want to be alone? Yeah, I ended up not going, um, which is sad, but it's fine because um, I later that year saw Taylor Swift in concert and I'm much bigger fan of Taylor Swift than I am the Jonas Brothers. So it was money well saved. So in the end, it worked out. But yeah, I did not end up going. I mean, I feel bad, Blue, that you feel like you can't be open with the disability you have because you feel like that will be a barrier to achieving the goals that you want to. So that sucks. And Elizabeth, I I also empathize with you for people not understanding what you are going through friends and not providing the support that you necessarily need for them. So thank you all for being vulnerable and letting us know about that. Emma, thank you again for bringing up the club that you and Elizabeth started, Disability Advocacy at Penn. Could you tell me a little bit, both of you, about how you decided to come up with it and what channels you went through to make the club a reality? Elizabeth was absolutely wonderful at the beginning of um, founding DAP. Um, But uh, because she was able to, we wanted to first figure out if there was any real interest for a disability advocacy club at Penn. And Elizabeth did it a wonderful job of just finding people to ask their opinion, ask if they would want to be involved in a club or if they would even want to be around other people with disabilities and state their perspectives of their own disability, because that could be kind of daunting and really scary. Um, So I know at the very beginning, um, Elizabeth uh, two other uh, Penn students and I, we wanted to first see if anyone was interested. And we found a lot of people who 
felt like this was a very empty part of their lives, partially just because they felt very alone, like we were talking about. Um, many of them never met another person who had their disability specifically, or even other people who had disabilities to even talk to. And we knew that the Student Disability Center, while very good at helping students with accommodations, it was very academic, right? So if you needed extra time on a test, you go there. But if you needed someone to talk to, that was a lot grayer and harder to define. And so we really wanted a place for people to go and talk freely. We were really excited because our first ever meeting was one of the best days at Penn for me because like 30 people came and almost everybody wanted to talk. And for the people who didn't talk, they listened. And I just found it to be a beautiful thing. We had a very similar um, form of forum at our, um, the organization that Leah Elizabeth and uh, I were part of, uh, Lime Connect. But this was kind of on a scale of these are Penn students, which was really nice to see in my community, people coming and talking about their experiences. And then we wanted to take those experiences and turn it into advocacy, turn it into working with students disability services in helping people get accommodations that they need but might not necessarily be getting or working with the university to make it more accessible or at least get people with disabilities in the door. Because oftentimes, I'm, I've been part of many clubs where they have a diversity and, or equity and access uh, committee and disability is nowhere to be found in those uh, committees. Uh, it's just something that people don't think about when they think about diversity, when they think about identity, and when they think about inclusion of other groups that might be discriminated against. Um, and so we wanted to take all of those voices of people that we heard in our forums and really turn it into something that could change the foundation of what we really talk about when we talk about diversity, when we talk about disability on campus. Thanks for that, Emma. I think you did a really good job illustrating the beginning of DAP. I think that in the beginning, it was really hard also just starting a club off the ground because not only were we trying to just start something new, start a different community, we were also working against a lot of like the culture, the stigma, the lack of discussions and space for disability or just for the disability community. And so after that meeting, the four of us continued to meet. We were just talk, hashtag ideas, set up meetings, cut up club meetings. And then we were really working to like publicize the name of DAP and to make it really known to the broader campus and hopefully the administration. Because I think our biggest fear was that like, if we stopped, like if we didn't put enough effort in that DAP would just dissolve, like people just forget about it because I think people because disability is already left out of a lot of diversity conversations so it's not like we can expect them to speak up for us so I think we really wanted to make sure that our name was being seen and that people were taking notice of us and I think it was helpful that the DP um, the Daily Pennsylvania featured us because it let us be seen to the broader community and then after getting a seat on the university council this semester I'm more hopeful that this can that DAP can maybe enact some more long-term structural change in the university but I think like with that said, the progress you've seen so far has been positive, even throughout COVID. Thank you so much for both of you sharing. I 1000% resonate with what you said, Emma and Elizabeth, about how disabilities left out of the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. And 
the idea for this episode, and I sincerely from the bottom of my, of my heart, thank each and every one of you for coming on and accepting to be vulnerable and speak today about your experiences and what could be better. But I was inspired by Leah, Elizabeth, and other Google interns, we all interned at Google this past summer, who presented to the business interns on the Americans with Disabilities Act to commemorate its 30th anniversary. And that made me realize as a Black woman who's an immigrant and who is passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I never realized as an able-bodied individual that I was not thinking about the bigger picture. And that presentation truly impacted me. And I went back to, I'm part of Penn Student Government and the branch that I'm on uh, nominates or seats people for a university council. Elizabeth spoke about this a bit because your organization, your club is now sitting on university council. So with that club, it's a four-year appointment there is about 10 people per class. And I never realized that we do not advertise, we do not make our recruitment efforts available for people who aren't able-bodied. And that has caused a significant lack. I don't know of anyone on the body and they could have a disability that they're just not public about and I don't know about, but all of the people I know are able-bodied individuals. So after that presentation, I went to the chair of my student government branch and told her that we should reach out to Weingarten and find out ways that we can make our flyers maybe have like Braille on it and have closed captioning for videos instead of just having flyers and also using alternative uh, captions on Instagram and all this other stuff that's there that I didn't think about before. And I'm sure the the rest of the body didn't as well. So I just want to thank you, Leah and Elizabeth and the others that presented because it was so impactful and will continue to influence me for the rest of my life. So thank you for that. Yeah, I definitely um, appreciate you just like taking what you learned and making active steps after it. I think the biggest thing in kind of any educational talks that I've given um, around disability and accessibility is that I'm hoping that what I'm saying is going to like, like inspire people to move forward. I kind of hesitate using the word um, inspire just because there is, um, when it comes to disability community, something called inspiration porn that would be a whole different topic that we always kind of try not to really use the word inspire around disabilities. But I hope that my work does kind of motivate people to make change because I want to make change. And I know that I can't do that alone. It's an, it's an active effort from everyone who are both disabled and able-bodied. So I, from the bottom of my heart, really appreciate you and hearing that story and how you went out of your way to make the change based on, you know, what we shared. I also want to say that that presentation, I loved doing it and it was spearheaded by Elizabeth. She did so much for it. Um, I was blown away by just, you know, how excited the turnout was, how active our other interns were and how engaged they were in hearing about our stories. And again, like I did my part and I was so happy to support Elizabeth, but like Elizabeth was the one that messaged me and she was like, we should do this. And I was like, oh my gosh, what a great idea. Like we absolutely need to. 
Um, so I want to thank Elizabeth for like being my partner in crime and kind of like, sounds like she's making huge waves at UPenn too, um, her and Emma. So uh, shout out to Elizabeth, who is just absolutely wonderful co-intern, co-podcaster, and just in general. Um, I want to give credit for that conversation, that presentation where it was due, and it's definitely more towards Elizabeth. Thanks, Leah, for the high praise. I'm just smiling to the end of my face now. Um, it was just really awesome doing that presentation with you. I remember, like, we were talking about it, we were mean about it, and I really appreciated how enthusiastic you were throughout the process. And for Sia, I, I even remember, like, even after the presentation, you reached out to me immediately and you told me, like, how much it impacted you. And it makes me really thankful and really glad to see even to this day, like, months after our internship that you're still thinking about it. Like, you're, you're still thinking about the issue and ways you can be a better ally. Because I have met, like, very few people who actually act upon the things they say and they want to make a change or let's say they, they walk the talk like I met very few people like that so I really do appreciate you like trying to be a better ally too at the part thank you and that's what's needed right more allyship and coalition building in this world in general so thank you all and to I love this conversation and everything we've spoken about how it affects um your academic life, your social life. And I just want to know what are things that you want able-bodied people to know in terms of being better allies and doing better? And then also, what do you want the university to know? I would love for administration to hear this podcast and make active changes, you know, to be more accommodating and welcoming, not just accommodating, but integrating thoroughly and comfortably all communities regardless of whether one is able or one has a disability one thing that i really want to hammer home is that like having a disability is not a bad thing like it does not make my life any worse off than anybody else's like yes there are added barriers but like at the end of the day it is part of my identity i think emma said it earlier that was like, if I didn't have this disability, I wouldn't be who I am. Um, so do not always assume that I am looking for my disability to be solved, that I'm looking for a cure, because that's not what I want. Like, I am proudly disabled. And like, that's just who I am. And it's not a bad thing in my life. And it doesn't make my life terrible. It makes me it makes my life my life. And I'm very fortunate to have come to that realization. And this was not something that, you know, I, like, I was born disabled, but I wasn't like, oh my gosh, and I love it. Like, it is always a growing experience. So when it comes to able-bodied people, just be aware that, like, just because I'm doing something differently than you doesn't mean that I'm doing it worse than you, doesn't mean that I'm helpless. I am very much capable of doing what I want to be doing with my disability, not in spite of it. That's, like, the biggest thing. Um, and then what I wish universities knew I could, this could be a whole podcast on its own. I wish, and everyone's already said it, I want the representation. I think we talk about diversity and it goes so much, like it goes so much further than what our universities talk about. Like, please include disabilities in your, in your work, in like all of your administrative decisions. Like it's so important. Also understand that like not every low vision student is going to have the same experience. Not every disabled student is going to have their experience and the same experience and the only person that knows what they need to be accommodated in the classroom is the student 
That should not be up to the professor to decide. That should not be up to the administration to decide. And it should not be up to it should not be up to the people in disability resources to decide. Only I know what I need to be accommodated for. And if I say this is what I need, that is what I need. I am not here. You're not doing me a favor by accommodating me. You're doing your job. And I found, especially when it comes to disability resources, which unfortunately does often more often than not seem to be ran by able-bodied people who do not understand the like the students with disabilities story that you know they make it seem like they are doing me a favor by accommodating me and that's not true that is your job so I say I hate to say it just do your job and accommodate students that would make my life so much easier and again just for the administration like Take some, like, I know diversity training exists. Like, take accessibility training. Like, just expand your mind to, like, going out and educating yourself about what it means to have students in the classrooms with disabilities. Like, like learn the, like, learn what the American Disabilities Act is. Like, go out of your way and realize, like, if I have a low vision student, this is what they need. Like, I've had professors after professors be like, oh, you're low vision, so don't worry, I've already got Braille materials. And it's like, I really appreciate that, but I don't read Braille. I just need it in large print. Can you just print everything again larger? So I wish university administration would educate themselves. And I would hope that, you know, as you hire more people, like in the university administration, hire people with disabilities because we're great at doing our jobs. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I think I would be good at my job. And I think it's important to have people on your administration that represent your student body. And I would be shocked if there are any student bodies for any universities that are just fully able-bodied. I cannot believe that exists. Yeah. So in terms of what I want peers to know, um, you know, I haven't had many that challenging experiences with my disability uh, with peers, but I mean, I just would want like, you know, I think that everyone should just be understanding if someone is falling through in a way that you don't understand. Um, I mean, there's like the famous line, like you don't know, you know, what someone's dealing with. Of course, disability is one of those things, and I'm 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 not gonna say, you know, don't like, be nice to people because they might have a disability. Because you should also be nice to people <laughs> and understanding, even if they're struggling for some other reason. But what I more think about is with admin, um, on a very practical level, at a place like Penn, they they just don't need to make it so hard to get a sched- to get accommodated tests. They don't. They don't. I've been at other schools that I've been at other colleges um, during high school where it was the responsibility of admin and the professors to work out each of your accommodations. I've, I've never heard of a school in which it's the, it's the responsibility of a student to advocate for every single assignment that they want every separately. Um, it's just insane. And then also even just going beyond the way Penn handles disabilities at um, for students like us. I mean, I, when I think about, when I think about my relationship with my disability, I, I have to think about like the, how much harder it would be if I wasn't at a prestigious place like Penn and in, a, in the neighborhood that surrounds us in a place like Philly, you have all these community music, community schools like West Philly High, like Lee Elementary that are disproportionately having disabled kids at their schools. They can't get into the specialized schools in the city and these schools are just drastically underfunded to be able to help uh, disabled kids there get the accommodations they mean. So I guess I would I would I would say administration if you're listening, I really think you should pay pilots. And for those who do not know what pilots are, it's Penn is a nonprofit, so they do not pay taxes that help like local schools. So 
paying pilots would help and funding local schools and making sure that they get the resources they need with having a billion dollar valued institution as their neighbor. And our local schools just are have just huge amounts of students with disabilities in them. I think that it's very much for me one in the same of what I would like my peers to know and what I would like the administration to know. But I think the administration can do more um, than my peers because the administration, it's the institution where my peers go to learn, right? And I would like both of them to know that being disabled isn't just a medical condition for all of us. It is a lifestyle and it's an identity. It is not just when you look at a person with disabilities, don't just see a wheelchair. Don't just see a hearing aid. Don't just see the equipment we use to live our daily lives. See the person who has a part of their identity that just happens to be a disability and to celebrate that just as much as you celebrate your own identities. I actually, in my American Sign Language Studies, love this concept of lowercase d and capital D deaf. So the lowercase d deaf is the medical version. It is the fact that you have medical uh, complications with hearing. But the capital D deaf is the entirety of the community and the culture that comes with being deaf. And you actually don't have to be lowercase d deaf to be uppercase d deaf. And I love that mentality of feeling like having a disability isn't just a medical side of it. It could be this whole big, beautiful culture that a lot of people don't realize people with disabilities might have and might want to share with you if you only let them. And so I think the administration could do better in two ways. One is people who do not know that they have a disability or are have not fully developed their disability identity when they come to campus and are seeking help, help them. It's very hard when you do not have documentation about a disability, but you clearly do have a disability to get accommodations in college. And so that's just one way to support both the healthy development of a disability identity so that it's not always feeling like a burden from the get-go that you have this disability, that you always have to ask for something and be rejected. And then also educate people. I feel like the big problem with people, able-bodied people and the disability community is that able-bodied people are never taught about the disability community. You go to any elementary school, you go to any history class there, are they teaching disability history? No, they're not teaching disability history. And that probably should be solved on the elementary and middle school and high school point, but it can also be solved at college. So if we have the writing requirement, put in a class about the writings of people with disabilities like Judy Human or the Disability Visibility Project that's run by Alice Wong. Um, there's so many ways to look at disability as an able-bodied person and get educated about the disability community, even as a 19, 20, 21-year-old. And I think that if Penn provide more resources that way, provide more resources by potentially uh, giving people with disabilities a cultural center would be great ways to provide a better understanding of people with disabilities as a whole and not just their medical condition and more so their identity and their culture. Yeah, I do think that 
Mm, our shape on the peer level does tie in pretty closely with the institutional level because it's the institution that really sets the example and then the peers follow. But I feel like starting with the institution, I feel like if you just could implement like sensitivity trainings or maybe at NSO, new student orientation, you could have a forum for students with disabilities to really talk about, yeah, give them resources for like how to navigate campus life, setting up personal meetings with the leaders of DAP, the Disability Advocacy at Penn, and actually listen to them, listen to what they have, talk to the community, and put aside your own ego. And as, as for peers, I think like it's tricky because each person, each disabled person has a different level of comfort with their own disability, which is totally okay because we're all on different points of our own journey. But I think for mine, like I would just like let them, let everyone know, like, please don't treat me like I'm fragile. Like don't feel the need to like tiptoe around my disability or you know, like you're gonna offend me if you say ask anything. It really, I think it really comes down to the way the tone of your voice, of your question. Like if you're asking in a really condescending or patronizing tone, if you're just really genuinely curious and you want to know more. Like I like my disability, society is the one who's making me feel bad about it. And I think another tip is maybe just to listen um, and don't expect your disabled friend if you only have like one or two to represent the entire community because we're a lot more diverse than that. There's a lot of different types of disabilities, a lot of different ways that we live our lives. And I think just in light of everything that's been happening, like in 2020 to even the, just the past week, um, from George Floyd to Black Lives Matter to the anti-Asian hate crimes, like allyship looks no different for the disability community. It's really the same thing. You just need to educate yourself, be understanding, compassionate, um, stand up even for us, even when you feel scared, um, owning your mistakes and setting aside your ego. Because I think like ableism is really entrenched deeply in society and even we don't know it. I met a lot of disabled people and me myself have internalized a lot of ableism because it's been steeped so deeply over time and throughout history and through media. And by calling out the ableist language or the actions, we're not really trying to condemn anyone here. Like we're just really trying to reframe the way we talk about disability and just reframe the way, the way we see it in the years to come too. Elizabeth made a really good point that I just want to touch on right before we close um, is that it is a learning process and like ableism is entrenched everywhere. It is everywhere. There's not a lot of education around disabilities. And so if you do get called out for making an ableist mistake, then please like don't get offended by that and try to change your actions. Don't think that, you know, if someone does correct you because like, I'm sure I do things that are ableist too. Like everyone is a victim of it of systemic ableism, that if someone corrects you, be open to making that correction. Do not get defensive. You know, just keep your mind open. And also, if you are an able-bodied person, it is not your place to be like you're overreacting to any kind of like ableist comment. So again, Elizabeth made a great point that just really reminded me that like, if someone does correct you, be be thankful that they are educating you and they are taking the time for you. Um, and don't be defensive about the matter. I agreed with everything that you said, even though this hasn't been my personal experience. I can see now that my eyes have been opened and I'm more alert, I can see the deeply entrenched ableism like throughout society. And I would just like to not to say one is the same, but I love how Elizabeth brought up what happened with George Floyd to what happened this past week in Georgia and those homicides. And 
when we look at racism and all the terrible isms, misogyny and all of that stuff that's entrenched in society, you would never tell a black person that, well, you're overreacting to the N-word or like stuff like that, right? So you need to give people with disabilities the same respect or even if people are like secretly racist and we can get into microaggressions, you would you would feel ashamed for saying that in public or for tweeting out you shouldn't react to George Floyd and so on. So give everyone the same respect because we're all humans. We should all support each other and be allies in the fight for justice for everyone, you know, justice for all. So thank you each for coming on. I have loved this episode. It's been one of my favorites to record. And I really hope that everyone, all of the listeners, please share this to your clubs, to your family members, to everyone, because it's really important. And I'm not just saying this because it's my podcast. I'm saying this because of the content that was discussed in this episode. It will impact lives and hopefully be a catalyst for big change, big positive change. So thank you all for coming on. I want to thank all the listeners for listening intently. And I wish everyone peace and love. If you could please rate and leave a comment on this podcast, that would be great. It would help us be more easily identifiable on iTunes and so on and grow our listenership and tell your friends. Thank you. For more chill content, visit the Trillis underscore podcast on Instagram, T-H-E-T-R-I-L-L-E-S-T underscore podcast. And also visit Sia's Instagram at L-I-N-D-A-L-E-B-B-I-E. Thank you.